It's been 10,539 days since the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed, and you are parked in the access aisle. Good morning, and welcome to the access aisle. My first name is Boris, and my last name is hard to say. This month, we're going to be talking about service animals, but before we get to the interview, I'd like to set the scene a little bit with a quick history lesson. The month was June, and the year was 1928. The world was in recovery from the end of the First World War, and still 90 years away from the release of Drake's fifth studio album. Nashville-born Morris Frank and his dog Buddy stood on West Street in New York City, surrounded by wide-eyed reporters with all eyes fixed on them. They watched in awe as Morris and Buddy stepped into the roadway and made it all the way across the street with not a single misstep, setting the news world on fire with the story of the 20-year-old blind man from Tennessee who regained his independence with the service of a dog. Morris and Buddy would go on to be the founders of the first and now oldest guide dog school in the United States, The Seeing Eye. Now with that out of the way, let's introduce our guest today. Hey there, my name is Emily Beasley. I am the Youth Leadership Coordinator here at Able South Carolina, and my dog's name is Tucker. Good morning. My name is Dory Tempio. I'm the Director of Community Outreach and Consumer Rights for Able South Carolina, and my service dog is Shaq. Okay. So, Emily, how did you uh, decide or come to the decision that you needed Tucker? Yeah, so Tucker is an emotional support animal, which means he's not a service animal and the rights are a little bit different, but um, I needed more support at home than I did out in public, and so um, I decided to get Tucker when I my depression got really bad and my anxiety got really bad, and so we looked around and um, went to a breeder who uh, had several other dogs. Um, be used as service animals in ESAs and so we went with her and um, I picked them up. <laughs> I've had four service dogs total and all four of my service dogs have come from accredited organizations under Assistance Dogs International and I spent a lot of time doing research from when I lived in Maryland and then I moved to South Carolina. It was essential to me that if I was going to get a service dog, I wanted to make sure it was a viable service dog from an organization that had experience working with service animals. And for me, I started to notice that doing the typical everyday things like getting dressed, um, putting my coat on, um, trying to pick things up from the floor, trying to transfer from my wheelchair to other surfaces like chairs, bathrooms, etc. And really thinking about where I was expending energy. I was expending energy, it would take me two hours. I would go to work two hours early to take off my coat. And that was not energy I needed to expend. If you know me, I'm a very active person. I like to be in the community. I like to work. I like to volunteer. And in order to do that, I knew I needed something that would provide me assistance to do that. But I wanted it to be in such a way that I wasn't having to be reliant on people, but still in a way that demonstrated to others that all of us can use different accommodations to achieve the goals that we want to. Okay. And Emily, how is that similar or different to what you went through? 
Yeah, so it's a little um, different. So with emotional support animals, they do not have to be professionally trained. Um, they don't have the same public access rights though as service animals. So like I said, I can't take Tucker into public with me, but um, I did do a lot of research and I did get him trained partially uh, before you know he started acting as my emotional support animal. Um, yeah. Okay. I feel like, do you feel like it's kind of safe to say that people look at emotional support animals in a more negative light than conventional quote-unquote service animals? Oh yeah, most definitely. Uh, I think it has to do with people faking the their uh, emotional support animals and using the law to get uh, the pet fee waived or to fly with their animal or things like that. Whereas I know like for me, if I were to try to fly with Tucker, that would honestly probably be more stressful than helpful for me. So I would never even think about taking Tucker on a plane with me. Uh, the only part of the law really that I, I take use of is the, uh, he, he's allowed to live with me and I don't have to pay a pet fee because he's not technically a pet. He um, is an emotional support animal. And that's under, that's under the Fair Housing Act, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, Jory, have you ever encountered somebody that's that's tried to have a fake service animal, or or try to tell you that Jack isn't do isn't a real service animal? I have on several occasions. I can give a couple of examples. Um, one, I was at our local home improvement store, and I was shopping, and. All of a sudden, I was in the line paying for my goods, and I hear barking. And the manager comes running out, and he's like, why is your dog barking? And everyone else in the line said, it isn't her dog. It's the lady with the dog in her purse. And when the manager said to her, so um, is your dog a service animal, she kind of chuckled and said, yes, he is. And then she looked at me to see if I was going to refute her answer, which under law I cannot because technically um, if they ask you that question and you decide to respond that way, um, that is your choice. The only other thing they could have done in that situation was to ask her what task the service animal performed for her. And other situations, I've been on the other end of the spectrum where I was out trying to get access into locations in downtown Columbia, whether it was a federal agency or a restaurant or local business. And I've had people say to me, well, that, are you sure that's a service animal? Are you sure he's allowed in here? We serve food. We do such and such business. You can't bring him in here. And I think what people don't know are all the dynamics of service animals and emotional support animals. And when you don't understand all of that, that can produce a lot of confusion. Yeah. I don't think just confusion for the public. I think it produces a lot of confusion for individuals with disabilities who don't know which law fits which type of service animal and what situation. And so there are really genuinely a lot of times people don't know that they're misrepresenting their service animal. An example, some people refer to their service animals as therapy dogs because they feel they give them some therapeutic elements of emotional support or physical 
assistance like they have physical therapy. And I've had people with legitimate service animals just refer to their animals as in the wrong way and they've been denied access too. And the laws are so intricate now that unless you really know your rights, it can be complex. And so I like to look at it from the perspective that hopefully with more education, we get better with that. Hopefully, maybe down the line, we have some more guidelines for how to oversee service animals and emotional support animals. But you could even go state to state. And even with the ADA, some states have different regulations as well. So I can see for the typical person, that would be very confusing, whether you're a professional or a person utilizing these animals. And something that we've seen start to happen a lot in the past couple of years is that more and more states are adding additional legislation to to crack down on the concept of people faking service animals. Uh, what do you think of that as a, as a pandemic? Do you think that there's too many people abusing service animals? Do you think that, that the number of people that are faking it is outweighing the number of people that actually have or need? I see, number one, I have concern why we have, we have a federal piece of legislation and most of the time it isn't implemented. If it was implemented in the way it was intended, speaking of the Americans with Disabilities Act, we wouldn't have the, some of these concerns, but people aren't implementing it and utilizing it correctly, those in enforcement jobs. The second part of this is legislation sounds great on paper. The difficulty with legislation is individuals are just that, people with different needs, people with different abilities, people with different ways of communicating. And as I said earlier, sometimes people use the wrong wording to talk about their animal. Sometimes people in stressful situations can't communicate that it is indeed an animal and what it does for you, a service animal or emotional support animal and what it does for you. And the problem with that then becomes that you, as the owner who may have a legitimate service or emotional support animal, can't explain what that dog does for you, not because you don't want to, but because the way your disability impacts you. And therefore, in some states, you're being charged with a misdemeanor crime, which entails money it entails a misdemeanor crime being put attached to your name and you will take years and years and years and money to get that off your record so it's and even it's even more barriers uh, on top of a person who had already was already experiencing barriers in exactly so i think we and they're already recognizing in georgia colorado and a couple of other states where it's ended up hurting the individuals it was intended to help. So really thinking about that, thinking of all aspects before we just institute a law that may not actually benefit those it was intended to serve. So I notice, uh, you know, I, I want to speak to the elephant in the room, and, and, and by that I mean dogs. Uh, so we're talking a lot about service animals, but both of the examples that we've got here are both dogs. Uh, we really don't see service animals for, for physical or visual disabilities outside of dogs and many horses uh, due to an interesting asterisk in that law. But on the emotional support animal spectrum, you see a lot more diversity in that. 
which I think kind of lends to that public perception of maybe, oh, well, what, what is a chicken going to do for you mm-hmm. that a dog doesn't do? Emily, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so when I was looking at emotional support animals and deciding which kind I should get, I really went with dogs just because, you know, they're man's best friend and everyone loves dogs. And, um, you know, that seemed like the best fit for me. But all animals can provide support. I do think that different animals may be taken less seriously, but not because they're not providing that emotional support, but that people just don't understand how that support could be provided. So it sounds like it's a lot of just public perception being being warped. What what are some things that we can do to help educate the public or show the importance and the legitimacy of emotional support animals? I think people being more open about them. I think because of public uh, public perception of people with emotional support animals and people that think that we are faking it or just using it to um, fly for free, have their animal fly for free, or, you know, not have to pay a housing fee. Uh, I think that people misunderstand, but if more people were open about their animals in general and how they do actually help them, then I think that other people might start to see that it doesn't just have to be dogs. Does Tucker have any specific skills or or actions that he takes when you're feeling uh, particular anxiety or any kind of symptoms that he can pick up on? Yeah, so Tucker's been trained in a couple of different ways. Uh, One way is that he alerts me to my anxiety, either by coming over and nudging me or jumping up on my leg if I'm standing. And then, because he's also, he's pretty small, he's all of 20 pounds. Um, then the other task that he's been trained to do is called pressure. And so that's when he comes over and if I'm sitting, he'll lay on my lap. And if I'm laying down, he'll lay on my stomach or my chest. And, um, both of those, he knows how to do it on command, but he'll also do it if he picks up on me becoming particularly anxious or if I'm crying or if I'm just super depressed, he, he's really good at picking up on those kind of things. And then of course he does just provide general emotional support in that, I'm really happy when I'm around him, and he brings me a lot of joy. So, in in a real sense, the, he, there are certain tasks that he's been trained to do that directly benefit your disability, right? Yes, but that is also kind of unique to my situation. Emotional support animals don't have to be trained in specific tasks to help. Um, I just decided that I did need help and these supports at home, but I didn't need a full-blown service animal to take out with me in public because generally I was around other people in public that could help me, um, fulfill my needs that, you know, I wouldn't otherwise be able to. Okay. And, and Dory, uh, same kind of framing for Shaq. I, I've seen around the office some of the things that, that Shaq's done for you, and I know you mentioned earlier some of the things that, that you felt like you needed help with that Shaq can give you some additional independence for. So what are the ways that Shaq helps you that you feel like a person couldn't? In what ways does, does having a service animal beat out having a PCA? I think being... A person who wants to be as independent as possible. People have their merits in a whole lot of different areas. But to be honest, I think having a service animal empowers you. It allows you not to be dependent on somebody who may or may not have other responsibilities that they have to take care of. 
Um, also being a person who uses a PCA as well, there are different dynamics to it. Um, having a PCA who had to pick up my cell phone 10 times that I drop it, usually during a day. Having a PCA who had to um, help me transfer every second of the day when I want to transfer at home from my bed or from the wheelchair to the bathroom toilet to um, my wheelchair to a chair or sofa. Um, my service dog can take notes back and forth or remote control or things for me and my husband. Um, there's a lot of essentialness that people forget. People think people are the answers, not in all cases. Sometimes elements of people are more enabling than animals who empower you. And I think it really is dependent on this person. I don't think a service animal or an emotional support animal is right for everybody. I think you have to have certain dynamics and responsibilities, and I think the animal has to be wanting to be in that job. It isn't something you just take an animal and put it in because that's what you want. They have to have the desire to want to work for you in either role, whether it's a service animal or an emotional support animal, and that is not every animal. So you have to look at it from that aspect as well. It is much less money, too, to have a service animal than a PCA, to have a PCA. Also, in, in South Carolina and other states, you have to meet certain qualifications um, for Medicaid, Medicare, and other entities from which you receive those services. And so I really think when you look at the global perspective of why do you choose a service animal or an emotional support animal, it's very individualized. And what's going to be right for one person is not going to be right for the other. And whether I choose I want a, an individual to assist me or whether I choose I want a service animal to assist me is also individual wants and needs based as well. Because I don't think one is any better than the other to say that to someone. I feel personally that's for me, it's a better choice, but for somebody else, um, just like the independent living philosophy says, it's really the choice of you and what works best for you. Awesome. Well then, just for my own personal amusement and possibly the amusement of our listeners, tell me and, and be as detailed or as undetailed as you'd like the, what it was like the moment you met Shaq. Oh, that's a big story. When I first met Shaq, when you go through um, a service dog organization, and I can only speak from this reference, I got Pat, uh, Shaq from Palmetto Animal Assisted Life Services, which is also called PALS, out of Columbia, South Carolina. They go through an extensive process where you um, meet with a lot of different dogs over the course of a year that you're accepted and they look at the different dogs and how they interact with you. You get to have input. They also have a client committee that gives input. You are interviewed in your home. You are also um, evaluated by a, your medical doctor and they give input too. Um, and then when you go through that, you weigh out the pros and cons of each dog. So you're asked your opinion, but they also have a training team that looks at that too. Well, the first time I met Shaq, 
he ran up to me. He jumped on my footrest of my wheelchair, turned his body around, and then did a pose like we were on the catwalk, and I was rolling my wheelchair, and he wanted to just sit there and go along. And it was very interesting because none of the other dogs at that time really had any interest in being around a wheelchair or certain things you could tell by their um, physical demeanor and they were a little hesitant, but he's like, I'm down for this, let's go. And for those who know me know I have a lot of energy. Well, when people tell me he's the canine form of you, I guess that says it all. And Emily, what was it like the moment you met Tucker? The moment I met Tucker wasn't wasn't as entertaining as, as the moment Dory met Shaq. <laughs> but when I took him home, we got him from a breeder out in Georgia. And when I took him home, you know, I felt at peace. And I felt like... You know, I made the right decision. There was a lot of um, testing that went into picking the right dog. There was it was down between two um, two puppies, and just something about Tucker's demeanor just seemed perfect for me. And I took him home, and he was still this little little fuzzball. And I set him in the grass, and all he wanted to do was follow me around and be right next to me. And that really was. I mean, he has become my best friend, and I knew that that day that he would be my best friend, and that, you know, even if I don't want to give him all of my attention because I'm feeling, like, particularly depressed or anxious, all he wants to do is make me happy and be right by me, and, you know, I don't have to be giving him direct attention, and he's still just chilling right by me, and, you know, he has my back, so, um, yeah, I'd say peaceful describes, you know, the moment I met him. That's awesome. I mean, I, I, I'd struggle to think of what more you could want from an animal.